All right, this is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk, and I'm Jasran Nam. And this is uh, Jamal Dejani. And we're broadcasting again from our quarantine uh, states, acknowledging the uh, shelter-in-place order here in the state of California. We're going on to the uh, fourth and fifth week now, Jamal, and the situation for the coronavirus continues to exert a devastating impact, not just in the United States, but globally, with over one and a half million cases and tens of thousands of people uh, who have perished at the hands of this pandemic. And it looks like sometime today that the United States will, will actually become the world leader in deaths when it comes to the coronavirus uh, epidemic. New York City continues to be ground zero. Louisiana is an epicenter still. Detroit, Michigan and its environment in Wayne County continue to be epicenters. And although you hear on the news, Jamal, you hear politicians, which make me very skeptical, talking about the curve being bended somewhat, I am still extremely skeptical that we're in a situation where anybody should be optimistic at this point. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you can't be optimistic uh, because according to all the reports which you just mentioned, one and a half million worldwide, almost 100,000. So I think it's over 90,000 deaths. The United States, 433,000 cases, 15,000 cases dead in the United States. They were speaking today, I listened to Governor Cuomo talking about the peak in New York, which should be today, according to some estimates. Now, this is the question about bending the curve, because uh, if it is a peak in New York, you know, then you start talking about maybe, you know, seeing some improvement. Also, California, uh, Gavin Newsom uh, has been reporting that uh, things have been stab- stabilizing and especially in the Bay Area, which uh, we have lower numbers than the rest of the nation. But the other troubling thing, just that we probably should be talking about is the inequity in the way this virus has been hitting people. Uh, the CDC released a demographic uh, report and a snapshot of this for the COVID-19 in March shows heightened numbers of those with underlying conditions are African-Americans, mostly men. And so it's hitting African-Americans and Latino, actually basically black and brown people, a major imbalance in in the way, I mean, we can talk about it, it, uh, you know, from the socioeconomic point yeah. The yeah. Crowd, crowdiness, lack of maybe uh, right. health, health support. And then, of course, the, uh, the worst fear is uh, for those people who are incarcerated in crowded jails. As you know, the United States is an incarcerated nation. We have more prisoners in the United States than, than anywhere else in the world. You know, those are really important points, Jamal, and I just want to emphasize one in particular, which is also the differential death rate of the COVID-19 virus in the United States and worldwide uh, that shows complete and really disturbing 
uh, racial and ethnic disparities. You're right in your first point that the numbers of people that are getting infected with COVID-19 are disproportionately people of color, African-American, Latino, and other brown people. But even more disturbing from my standpoint is the death rates also show significant disparities. So for example, in New York City, 70% of the people who have died from COVID-19 are people of color, even though they only make up, and that's primarily African-American, even though uh, they only make up 30% of the population. So here we, yet again, uh, are finding, um, in addition to the economic disparities, the, the health disparities, we're now seeing death disparities in terms of uh, exposure to COVID-19. Some politicians, Jamal, unfortunately, have made very, not just insensitive uh, comments about this, but deeply racist comments when the governor of Louisiana was in Alabama, when these governors were confronted on these disparities, they basically said that, and I'm paraphrasing, well, black people have more obesity and more health problems. That's why they're dying. Well, you're missing kind of the big, obvious, painful reality, uh, which is African-Americans have less access to the health care that everybody else in this country, uh, that white people enjoy. Um, so it's not that these individuals are getting exposed or dying at a rapid rate because they're black. They're getting exposed and dying from COVID because of historical disparities in healthcare access, which is now disproportionately killing more black and brown people in the United States and around the world uh, than, uh, than the, than the non uh, people of color community than the white communities. So this is a this is a huge crime, Jamal. This this is a huge huge crime. We we hear lip service uh, mm-hmm. about it, but what we're not seeing is the federal government stepping up and allowing people to sign up for the Affordable Care Act. We're not seeing the federal government step up and allowing people without insurance to be able to access insurance at this time. It's a state-by-state thing still. And while people are dying, Jamal, while African-American and brown people are dying right now, the Trump administration is still in court trying to overturn the Affordable Care Act, which attempts to give all people equal access, or some access, not equal, but some access to health care. I think this will go down in history as really criminal. Well, it's it's also exposes exposes the socioeconomic uh, inequality in this country. I mean that we've been talking about, because you know, poor poor health, as you know, is also related to diet. Aside from access to uh, you know uh, good doctors and hospitals, and also there is neglect. In a way, the focus right. is not there. Let's focus more maybe on on Wall Street. Like if you look at, for example, New York, and I've lived in New York more than 10 years, you know, not all boroughs in New York are equal. Uh, not even uh, uh, zip codes in within Manhattan are equal. You know, the Upper West Side, the East Side, and so forth. And it, it sounds to me like the focus is mostly, you know, on wealthy areas right. uh, and and keeping the you know what to do about the economy and then and then uh, when i was watching 
some of these doctors in the, the poorer neighborhoods and hospitals. And this is where you see the shots of the, uh, sadly, the refrigerated uh, uh, wagons, uh, you know, hitched to the back of the hospital where they're, they ran out of space in the morgue to put the people dying in them. It's a very sad scene, uh, you know, to see that. I think that's right, Jamal. And, um, and and it's not just New York City. I mean, New York City, we see we we see a real ugly, exacerbated picture of the health disparities. But if you go to Louisiana, if you go to Alabama, if you go to the Deep South. Those disparities, as I mentioned before, you know, over 70% of the deaths are African-Americans. Same in Detroit, same in Chicago. So you have these urban centers. And uh, the mayor of Chicago, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, even said that when she was looking at the number of deaths among African-Americans, was saying that these numbers uh, took her breath away. Well, it's Mm -hmm. great that it took your breath away, but what are we going to do about it as a country? From my perspective, we we still see this political battle, which, you know, in the midst of this epidemic, Jamal, people are, are, it's hard to keep your eye on kind of the political um, maneuvering that's going on. The federal government and the Trump administration still refuse to see this as a federal problem and see it as a state issue, that the states need to do something to protect, uh, you know, each state's citizens, rather than mobilizing a federal response to this pandemic, to this crisis. And as Trump likes to say, Jamal, you know, if this is a war, if he's the war president, when we went to war in World War One and World War Two, we didn't say, okay, uh, California, do what you want to do. Uh, you know, in World War Two at the Battle of the Bulge, we'll see you do whatever you want to do. It has to be coordinated federal uh, organized effort, and it's not happening. Well, well, no one wants to take responsibility. I mean, we know that from the get-go, Trump uh, was in total denial. Then he started to point the finger at China, you know, calling it the China virus, then blaming the different states. He recently blamed who? The World Health Organization for not giving us enough notice. And which, by the way, blaming China now, a new report, that's another thing I'm sure you're aware of, that there is now new data coming from the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai and the NYU Grossman School of Medicine, which says basically that... uh, the virus, the initial virus spread in New York, not from China, even though we know it originated in China, but rather came from Europe. Uh, they've just recently conducted a study right. and said with more than 80,000 cases and 4,260 coronavirus deaths, according to them, uh, basically uh, the epicenter New York, uh, that the two projects basically have been circulating, th- is saying that the likelihood that most of the travelers that came to New York were from from Europe and other parts of the United States because we were behind like two months, basically, right. on this. So, so that kind of changes things, kind of the perspective, how, how the spread of the virus and also early calculations and early reports were right. wrong. And I want to I wanna make two points about that, Jamal, which are really important. Uh, Point number one is that reports are coming from the New York Times and the Washington Post that uh, Donald Trump and his administration were briefed as early as November of 2019 
that this uh, coronavirus was uh, had the potential to devastate not just China but the entire world, and this was part of his daily presidential briefing as early as November. So he was apprised of this as early as November 2019. Then in November 2020, one of his secretaries, Secretary Navarro, who is a complete buffoon, by the way, he's not a physician and is giving advice about, um, you know, hydroxychloroquine, having said that. He also wrote a very scathing uh, memo to the President of the United States in January of 2020, saying that this coronavirus thing had the potential to devastate the U.S. economy and the end cause, you know, hundreds of thousands of deaths. So we know, despite what Trump says every day, that everything is under control. He did what he could. He blames the WHO. He blames China. He's blaming everybody else. He keeps saying this stupid thing. Who would have known? Well, let's be real. He knew about this as early as November. He was briefed by his National Security Council. He knew about it from his own cabinet as early as January 2020. Right. And, and he did absolutely nothing. Um, about the about the virus spreading in the United States, uh, not from China, is a very good point, Jamal, because in the New York area, it seems like they had what we call in the in the medical field a super spreader. You know, an individual who has the virus who spread it to large numbers of people, and there's this individual from. Uh, uh, from Westchester County, I think, uh, which I think you know pretty well too. This was an individual who got exposed to the virus, came to his community, exposed his synagogue. Uh, the synagogue uh, members uh, also spread it widely and distributed. And according to the public health tracing programs, it looks like this one individual, if you want to talk about how infectious this coronavirus is, was responsible for being a super spreader, infecting more people who infected more people. It just expanded uh, at a log uh, at a logarithmic uh, level. And and, th- and this affected not only the New York area, as you know, New Jersey, Connecticut. Right. You know. Right. Uh, I mean, this is the larger kind of. I mean, a lot of people. Um, I mean, like Connecticut commute. They commute to work in Manhattan every day. But I want to go back to this thing about a federal response. When you have a natural disaster, you require a federal response. So instead of the states competing for supplies, for instead of the states competing for respirators and medical personal protective equipment, you need an organized federal response to the coronavirus. What we have in this country is a is an administration that's basically saying, hey, governors, it's up to you. You can compete against each other. The prices go up on this crazy supply, demand, uh, what I call greed capitalism. And you, you know, whatever, we'll just do our, we'll do our daily briefings and tell everybody about how great everything is. Well, the reality, Jamal, things are not great. Even if Governor Cuomo is right that they they'll achieve the peak today or tomorrow, uh, even if the curve flattens, we need to use that advisedly. It still means that hundreds and thousands of people are infected. Thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people will need to be hospitalized, and tens of thousands of people will continue to die. So let's not get let's not let's not get optimistic about this. It's still a horrific situation. 
What about President Trump want to restart the uh, the country and the economy? Initially said right after Easter, and now he's saying, "Well, we got to do it at the end of this month, at the latest." That's a dangerous game, Jamal. I'll tell you, I I'm speaking with people here uh, at UCSF who are the leading experts in the world on infectious disease. And what, what what I'm hearing and what we're hearing from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, who are part of the Trump administration, is that letting people go back to normal or releasing them to work too early could have catastrophic impacts on not just the economy in the, in the long term, but there could be the impact of secondary infections. So the flattening of the curve is undone, and then you see more peaks going on in the future. There are still hundreds of thousands of Jamal. This is what's hard for people to understand. There are still hundreds of thousands of non-symptomatic, asymptomatic carriers out there. And so if you release people to work too early before things stabilize for an extended period of time, more people are going to get sick, the healthcare system will get overwhelmed, and more people will die. I don't, I mean, I don't want to be overly like grim about this, Jamal, but I, after talking to people and looking at the data myself, I don't see how anything changes through in any significant way through the end of June and into July. I think that's how bad this coronavirus is. And I'm saying that even if the curve flattens and even well, if well, the Trump... This is, my, this is my worry when, when the Uh, the Trump administration and others talk about flattening the curve that people are going to rejoice and start coming out on the streets. No. So what you're saying is this is nonsense. It is nonsense. And he's he's making a political statement hoping to uh, hoping to mitigate not the virus but to mitigate the political consequences uh, and the economic consequences which are devastating which we'll get to in a minute. But the risk he runs of returning people back to work into normal work environments is so reckless at this time and has the potential to cause harm and damage and death far greater than what we're seeing right now. The best thing that we can do from a public health standpoint is to keep doing everything we're doing. You know, the healthcare system, Jamal, even in the Bay Area where things uh, have stabilized, I won't even say that the curve has flattened because... Thousands of people are getting infected and hundreds are dying. What we need to do is maintain our social distance still for the foreseeable future. I mean, Gov- Governor Newsom has decided that there will be no school, you know, mm-hmm. which is a great decision for the rest of this school year. But all of us need to continue to practice social distancing. So the, the one thing that I want to let our listeners know, Jamal, unless there's a legitimate and effective vaccine, Returning to business as usual at any time is is reckless. And there will not be a vaccine until a year from now to 18 months. So do the calculation in your own head. If the only if being vaccinated is the best solution to help overcome this pandemic, and we're not gonna have a vaccine for another year to 18 months, why is anybody saying oh, we're going to get back to work uh, at the end of uh, April, beginning of May. It is truly, it's truly uh, delusional, reckless thinking, to be, to be quite frank. 
Well, then what, what you're saying is, they, that, is that the only weapon that we have is the social distancing. It is. Nothing else for the timing. And I, I have to say, I've seen it working in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, like just talking to different people and watching the news and the news reports for whatever reason, the Bay Area has been doing much better than the rest of the country. It's true. Uh, and, and of course, California in general, uh, people, I, I, I actually drove, uh, you know, into the city and went different areas. Imagine uh, you can go anywhere like from, to downtown, to the Embarcadero area, no traffic just and you and I talk often about the traffic right especially since they construct the it's San Francisco streets are empty it's like a ghost town uh, you have maybe one I would say one tenth the normal traffic I mean there are you know deliveries and other things but you can whiz from any section of San Francisco any you know to to the other in in uh, less than 15 minutes you could cover the entire city really because the traffic is just basically non-existent i want to talk a little bit about what's going on uh, overseas uh, i'll talk a little bit about uh, the middle east the middle east so far the numbers that i've been receiving that in the entire middle east that there is more than 100,000 coronavirus cases but this number is I wouldn't very believe low. it. I wouldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, th- we know that. So this number is very low, but that's how it has been kind of how the news has been dis- disseminated. But Iran, of course, is the worst. That uh, one story that kind of jumped at me uh, uh, that um, more than 600 Iranians have died from the consumption of high concentrated alcohol, believing it protects against the coronavirus. People are getting desperate in Iran. This is according to a story uh, from the Iranian semi-official Tasneem news agency, uh, quoting a person, uh, you know, in the judiciary system. His name is Ghulam Hussein, uh, just uh, Ghulam Hussein Ismail. And he's saying some Iranians are resorting to drinking Neat, N-E-A-T, alcohol, uh, and the number and the number has been increasing and reaching disturbing figures. Uh, Three thousand people had had poisoning because oh, after drinking this toxic uh, drink, and six hundred of them died. Well, Jabal, that's really devastating to hear. Uh, I, I I think we need to be extremely skeptical of any data from the Middle East. I could tell you, uh, I've been speaking with uh, my colleagues in the Middle East. Uh, Jeddah, for example, in Saudi Arabia is completely shut down. And the people that I spoke with in Saudi Arabia believe that the numbers that are being portrayed by the kingdom are significantly uh, underrepresented. By the way, parenthetically, you know, Ramadan starts in a couple of weeks. Uh, It's going to be Interesting to see how that all plays out. I mean, Mecca has been shut down. Um, what 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 this really points to is the how social media has been used to to uh, promulgate, if you will, all of these crazy ideas of how to treat uh, the coronavirus, which is actually resulting in more people getting sick and dying. 
So you exactly, have- exactly, because this is the example what happened in Iran. Just we know in a country like the you know is the Islamic Republic of Iran, drinking alcohol is forbidden. That through social media, I don't know how and who gave this idea of drinking neat alcohol that you're going to cure yourself from the coronavirus or protect yourself from the coronavirus that you have these people getting alcohol poisoning and dying. Yeah, that's just as bad, unfortunately, as this last Sunday, which was Palm Sunday, uh, where you had pastors in the Deep South in Texas continuing to tell people to come to church and worship and giving the idea that uh, worshiping and a belief in God could overcome the coronavirus. I mean, spiritual connection is awesome, but do it through social media. All, all, all these ideas uh, about what cures the coronavirus, we have to say this on Arab Talk every time, Jamal. There is no cure. The treatments have not been scientifically proven. The vaccines will not be available for a year. The only cure... The only treatment we have for the coronavirus is hand washing and social distance. That is it. That's the only thing that we know scientifically can really stem the growth of of this virus. And if people, you know, we have to tell, I mean, I know our listeners who listen to us regularly kind of get this, but if there are people out there who are not regular listeners or viewers to Arab Talk, do not believe any of the hype on social media. If anyone tells you that they have a cure for coronavirus, you, you, you should run away. There are no cures. We don't even know. This gets by. I just need to say this, Jamal, because it's so disturbing to me. Would you hear uh, Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump touting uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, both of whom, by the way, have a financial interest indirectly with the company wow. that makes it? you know, touting this as, you know, what do you have to lose? It's not based on science. It's based on anecdotal information. And for people to believe in these anecdotes and to believe this idea, you've got nothing to lose. Well, what you've got to lose is dying again uh, or getting sicker or, you know, taking a medicine away from other people who actually need it. I mean, there's a lot to lose. There's a lot on the line here. So I'm, I'm tired of these... These well, some, some people, some people might need, need it for the real thing, like malaria. So exactly. Everybody trying yeah. to kind of exactly. stock up on on these drugs uh, uh, recommended by Doctor Trump. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He's, it, he's a doctor. Another story, just that I've uh, we've talked about last week, which is the story of uh, and, and there is a correction in this, and I'm one actually to correct something that I've actually fell uh, for that story. Uh, and that's that's a lesson about social media because not only social media now uh, has been uh, you know putting out these crazy stories about cures, but also there is a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, people just putting it for fun or to score a point or what have you. But uh, last week we talked about the Israel's health minister. Uh, Yaakov Litzman, and he did indeed said that, you know, the return of the Messiah will be the cure and the salvation will get us out uh, from the uh, COVID-19 crisis. And this is Israel health minister. Well, two days later, after he said that, two or three days later, 
he and his wife, Mr. Uh, Rabbi Litzman and his wife, Shava, uh, tested positive for COVID-19. And so, uh, so of course, he was in close contact with ben, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, he, uh, other ministers. And so that's why basically Bibi Netanyahu went to uh, self-quarantine because of the exposure to uh, Rabbi Yaakov Litzman, who is also the uh, health minister. Then there was a story that said that uh, uh, attributed to uh, uh, Yaakov Litzman uh, saying that this was a divine punishment against homosexuality and it, it caught rapid fire. It was all over the media and from credible uh, uh, media outlets, including MSN, yeah. And MSNBC and other things. And and although, by the way, which I have to say just to, for, to correct the record, uh, although uh, Rabbi Litzman, uh, ha, he's a uh, homophobe and opposed the LGBTQ equality and said all kinds of derogatory things against, uh, you know, and is against, of course, uh, same-sex marriage and whatever. He actually never said that. <laughs> So just to show you, he actually didn't say this, but this was actually a story that was covered throughout, uh, you know, the world, not yeah. only uh, the, yeah. the Middle East and by, Israel. By the way, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. We're broadcasting also on Facebook Live at uh, Jamal's uh, Facebook page, Jamal Dejani 2. Uh, you can always go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com. You can listen and watch all of the podcasts. And uh, as you can see, Jamal and I are continuing to honor the science-based recommendations on social distancing. And we're doing our show, uh, you know, remotely from our respective lo locations in, uh, in Northern California. I did want to mention, Jamal, you know, I'm very concerned. I've been speaking with my colleagues in Gaza and, uh, you know, Gaza is a particularly worrisome situation. We had two people who had been to Pakistan who came back to Gaza who had the COVID-19 uh, virus. It looks like there are about 15 plus people who have been infected. They continue to do contact tracing. Um, the thing that we all worry about Gaza are a number of things. It's, uh, it's a prison. So like any prison situation, there's the greater likelihood that, you know, if people are infected, it will spread. But more importantly, the embargo by the uh, Israeli military and government of medical and health supplies, if people get sick, there's only a handful of ventilators in Gaza, Jamal. If people need to be ventilated and they need the medications to recover uh, from ventilate or to use ventilation and then to recover. It's just not available in Gaza to the extent that it's available in other parts of the world. So the situation in Gaza right now is uh, very critical. I will say that both in Gaza and in the West Bank, Palestinians, we have to give Palestinians uh, an A plus for their social distancing. Actually, they are listening to science. Uh, there have been a, a number of fatwas also from religious leaders in Palestine, uh, both Muslim and Christian, by the way, who have encouraged uh, people to stay at home, not to go out and to engage in social distance. So um, at least in the Palestinian context, 
from the information that I've been able to get, it looks like the situa people are at least following the instructions of uh, self-quarantine and isolation. Yeah, well, I mean, the main problem in, in, in Gaza, as we all know, is that Gaza faces severe shortages of equipment, any type of equipment, medical equipment uh, or equipment for diagnosing, of course, the novel coronavirus. And uh, they suffer from medicine and food shortage. They've been very innovative. We talked about this last week, how they now uh, changed some of their uh, factories to manufacture, for example, the masks. Uh, right. For, because they, don't, they can't import any. Uh, China has recently sent, uh, um, uh, I don't know the number, how many thousand masks to, the, to both Gaza and the West Bank. Because, um, you know, the United States pretty much has cut all financial aid to the Palestinian uh, territories. Uh, USAID basically does not uh, function anymore ever since Trump came into power and the so-called deal of the century. Also, UNRWA uh, has been cut off by the United Nations, by the United States. Uh, they only receive uh, part of their money through the United Nations. So they've cut their services. Uh, they're not as, uh, they don't have the impact that they used, to, they used to have. So they have to rely basically in Palestine on self-sufficiency because uh, if we're talking about today, for example, past two days, because it's uh, the Jewish religious holiday of Passover. Uh, Israel, with and without the coronavirus, they usually lock the West Bank during those holidays. Right, right. So people cannot travel, but this also affects Palestinians, uh, healthcare and medics, because it also disrupts their, um, um, you know, their travel between towns and villages. That's right. And, 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 this, and at the same time, Israel stopped to provide, or actually they provided very little except for some areas in the Jerusalem suburb. So if someone in, a, in some of these villages that has been isolated by a check, checkpoint and a roadblock, if they needed a doctor, they can't get a doctor. That's right. And they can't be transported to a hospital. That's right. So they actually have the double the siege now. They have the Israeli siege plus the coronavirus plus lack of uh, equipment and, and medicine. On the social distancing side, yeah, they've been doing a very good job. They understand science. And it was very important, for example, uh, I can't recall even uh, during times of war and wherever when the... Uh, Al-Aqsa uh, has been That's closed, right. or when and when when the Church of the the Holy Sepulchre has been shut down, and so uh, as you know, Sunday is uh, Easter, uh, Easter for Catholics because you know there is also will be followed by Orthodox Easter a couple of weeks later, and this is the time when uh, everyone gathers in uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Uh, Thousands right. and thousands of Christians come to celebrate the holidays along with tourists. You can actually, uh, last time I was there during Easter was, I think, in 2016. You can even set foot in the old city. This is how crowded and, and you've been to the old city and you know these are narrow alleyways, uh, ancient staircases, uh, 
nooks and crannies and that kind of thing. You, you, you basically in normal days, you cannot avoid not being touched by someone. You know, sometimes you get shoved to move out of the way and whatever. So that physical contact is a part of the experience walking in the old city and now the old city is deserted. So, yeah. so this is, this is the difference. And I think I'm glad it is in this case because, uh, the Palestinians basically have been abandoned. They've been abandoned by the international community and they've been abandoned by their occupier, which, uh, holds a, a legal responsibility to provide healthcare. So, you know, and even, you know, the so-called deal of the century and the annexation of Jerusalem up to today, even though Israel claims sovereignty over Jerusalem, they treat Palestinian neighborhoods totally different than uh, the Israeli side in West Jerusalem. So garbage gets picked up there once a week versus three times a, a week in in West Jerusalem. The streets the, the, don't get cleaned up as much. And also, um, you know, other services uh, are affected there. Well, Jamal, I think, uh, you know, ironically, Palestinians, because of the, you know, 71 plus years of brutal occupation, unfortunately, know how to shelter in place. So, you know, in, in some ways, you know, because Palestinians believe in science, they have a long history of sheltering in place to protect themselves and their families. Thankfully, it's coming uh, to their advantage right now during this coronavirus. Another piece of news, by the way, uh, from the uh, Arab world and Middle East, Jamal, is that Saudi Arabia and UAE announced a ceasefire with their brutal attack attacks on Yemen. And the reason they uh, have done this ostensibly is because of the coronavirus. Not that they're worried about killing, you know, thousands of Yemeni civilians, men, women, and children, but they're ostensibly afraid of their forces contracting uh, the coronavirus. So there's been a, I think it's a two-week ceasefire, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not correct, Jamal. There looks like there's going to be a two-week ceasefire, which seems kind of crazy to me because, you know, this coronavirus is going to be going on for months and months and months, but uh, at least there's a ceasefire with the brutal uh, carnage that uh, Saudi Arabia and UAE are engaging with uh, in uh, in Yemen right now. Well, I attribute this to two things. One, of course, the coronavirus, but also because of the oil prices that uh, yes. Saudi Arabia has been engaged in this uh, war uh, between its uh, basically OPEC and, and Russia, a price war, I should say. And as you know now, uh, you can buy uh, probably in the Middle East, uh, the cost of uh, water is more expensive than, right. than, than oil. So now they're they're losing uh, billions of dollars in revenues that uh, they were spending on that war effort. Uh, so that's why I don't look at it as just a coincidence. It has both uh, the coronavirus, the fear from the coronavirus, but also has a financial aspect. Uh, so that Arabia has been losing billions of dollars, cannot finance this war for that long. 
And that's the other the, the other reason. And by the way, and the third reason, of course, it's unwinnable. But uh, I'm waiting for them to realize this, that this is an unwinnable war. And they've just been burning money like, uh, you know, like paper, basically, to keep bombing um, uh, the poor Yemenis there, killing uh, women right. and children. Well, this this is going to put the crown prince in a very. I mean, he's his back is already uh, against the wall. Uh, MBS is in a really bad situation right now, so we'll see what happens. I can't, Jamal. I'm sorry to switch gears right now because uh, you know, in terms of our time, but I cannot leave an episode of Arab Talk without really showing my appreciation for the wisdom and brilliance of Jared Kushner. Um, he continues to show himself as being brilliant in medicine, diplomacy, and now in logistics. Um, I just don't know what the world would do without Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner, again, Jamal, is responsible for a complete, complete collapse of, of the so-called peace plan and peace efforts in the in the Arab world and Middle East. It's been a catastrophic disaster. We we will only see that. In addition, his advice to the president, his father-in-law, early on that the coronavirus was just uh, being hyped by the media, contributed to Trump's delusion that it wasn't going to be that bad and that he could just economically fix things or ride things out. Now we're finding that Jared Kushner was involved and single-handedly getting supplies to republic medical supplies and personal protective equipment and um, you know intub- and you know intubation uh, devices uh, to Republican donors in New York who are sympathetic to uh, to Donald Trump. So he has his finger on the supply chain, and when this part of the history of the Trump administration and all the damage that it's done to the economic and moral fiber of this country and the world. Jared Kushner will be at the center of this historical analysis of the moral uh, and intellectual ineptitude that he brought to the table. It just is amazing to me, Jabal, how he continues to have a leadership role in all these areas where he has absolutely no expertise whatsoever. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's this is a crazy story because you're right. I was like reading about the story, and so well, of course, just going back now. By the way, we I haven't been seeing him in the briefing uh, in the press room after that uh, um, statement that he issued, like you know, this is ours versus like the federal government versus the states. Uh, I think they're making him disappear for a little bit after he just came under attack because of his uh, uh, (laughs) stupid statement, frankly. And then to find out that he's like now, you're right, uh, he's just basically uh, hooking up people, kind of like a drug dealer. That's how, you know, he's like hooking up friends, friends of family and donors, uh, you know, with their own personal, uh, you know, supply that's supposed to go to basically uh, to hospitals uh, that are in dire need for these respirators and masks and and whatever, and uh, and then uh, 
Then there are other things. I don't know if it's attributed to him and whatever, but we've been hearing also a lot of stories how the United States, I don't know if he's the, he's the one behind these things, have been uh, 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 taking uh, over some supplies um, that were destined to go to other countries. France has accused the, the right. U.S. that they've had, for example, I think a plan on on the tarmac in Shanghai, heading uh, to France, and then two Americans walked in, I per presume f working for the U.S. government, and offered uh, tripled uh, or, or quadrupled the the, uh, the cost, you know, and then and diverted that uh, shipment to the United States. Another another story I heard similar to this also uh, about another shipment going somewhere else in Hong Kong. Same thing happened there. That's right. So so I don't know if this is part of his work. But you yes, know, but you know what Jared Kushner could do, Jamal, because he's a slumlord, and he and the Kushner companies um, own properties all over the United States. Uh, for people who are economically disadvantaged. If Jared Kushner had any ounce of moral uh, 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 conscience about what's happening right now, what he could do is give everybody a rent respite. Are you, are you kidding me, Jess? Are you kidding me? In fact, the story just a day ago that they had that it's actually I think published in the New York Times that uh, the Kushner uh, uh, company, a real estate company, has been issuing eviction notices to tenants. Well, that 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 proves my point about the moral bankruptcy of uh, uh, Jared Kushner and his family. And you know, when I say his family, that goes all the way to his wife and the White House because. At a time when people should be giving mortgage and rent uh, holidays and vacations, you know, for three months, give people a break. What the Kushner companies appear to be doing is issuing eviction notices to people, putting them on the streets during the middle of a pandemic. So if people have any kind of idea of what this administration, what their intentions are, uh, economically, with healthcare, politics, whatever, it, that story should tell you everything you really need to know. That rather than giving people a rent break, they're they're basically issuing eviction notices. Actually, just a correction: that story was in the Intercept, and this is uh, you know people can read it. It just uh, came out a few days ago. His family real estate company which owns and manages thousands of apartment units. They continue their aggressive eviction practices and debt collection lawsuits. They're filing lawsuits as Americans wait for government relief. So they're the first ones uh, we've been hearing, like how many, uh, I mean, now there is a law that you cannot actually, I don't, I don't know if applicable to the rest of the country, but in California, you cannot file for eviction uh, or a lawsuit for 90 days. There is a moratorium on this. They were the first people. So they've had these stories, at least 15 tenants in New Jersey Mar and Maryland. They've already received their, um, they were served with the lawsuit to kind of vacate the premises uh, as Governor uh, Phil Murphy in New Jersey and Larry Hogan in Maryland declared uh, state of emergency. 
the Kushners did not stop from sending eviction notices. Well, that, that's, that's, that's why we are so grateful, Jamal, that we have Jared Kushner uh, at the center of the center of power for the Trump administration, helping guide this country through. You know, as we kind of look forward, Jamal, because uh, the Trump administration and President Trump have a big problem. You know, you know, uh, 17 million people have applied for unemployment uh, at this time. That number is only going to increase at a dramatic rate. People are going to lose their jobs. The economy, despite what you hear, is going gonna, is gonna to go into a deep recession. How long? We don't know. People are losing their jobs. People are going to lose their homes. People are going to lose their livelihood. And whatever you know, trillion, two trillion dollar package that the Trump administration is touting to help small businesses and people, those monies are still not getting to people. So the best that the Trump administration can do right now, Jamal, is say, well, instead of 100,000 or 200,000 deaths, we're going to have less than 100,000 deaths. That's their main talking point right now, which is unbelievable to me because even if we have under 100,000 deaths, that's still an enormous number of people who have lost their lives, families who have been decimated, who have lost loved ones and have lost their livelihoods. It's just devastating. That's going to be their main political angle because I don't see how this thing economically or in any way, no matter how much money you're going to pump into the economy and go into debt. I don't see that how this thing gets resolved before the November elections. So I'm going to throw out, Jamal, this crazy idea that there's going to be some funny business going on with the November election. That's what I'm worried about. I don't know what it is because people are advocating for mail-in you know, ballots uh, nationally instead of it being a state-by-state thing. The Republicans want to shoot that down. But I do fear some funny business going on with the November elections. Well, I mean, uh, I think Trump will do anything and everything to get reelected. Uh, and the uh, dealing with the coronavirus, even this whole approach as far as opening the country in by uh, Easter initially or by the end of the month, uh, it's all driven by... Uh, popularity ratings and uh, also his own personal wealth and interest that, oh, so what? We might lose a few more lives, but we'd rather make money. And the focus, even when you think about the stimulus, it's less directed at small businesses. I mean, small businesses are getting some relief, like up to $10,000 to you know, for payroll and things like this, but most of the money is going as usual and 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 as as has been done in the past to the big banks and 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 corporation, and then very little is going to filter down to the to the small business, even though they're going to make you you know believe that something like this is is going to happen. But uh, and now we know who's the Democratic candidate. Um, nominee, which is now uh, Biden. So Trump can focus all his efforts is trying to paint a rosy picture that he has saved the nation from total collapse. Uh, And 
maybe I'm with you, even though you changed your mind, that this would be his ticket for re-election. Yeah, I uh, haven't changed my mind yet, Jamal. I, I haven't. I still think he has as good a chance as before to be re-elected. But the, the level of moral depravity that he and the Republicans are going to have to go to to spin this to get re-elected and the amount of voter intimidation or voter manipulation that's going to go into it is going to be, you know, uh, widespread throughout the country. Um, you had the Supreme Court making decisions, you know, basically supporting the the Trump policies, limiting uh, elections and, and voters being able to get to the polls, uh, also supporting some of his, you know, draconian measures on uh, on the you know on the border with Mexico in terms of asylum seekers, I, I you know, in one other thing I forgot to mention you know him firing the IG, uh, two IGs recently who are attempting to oversee how the money is spent on the two trillion dollars that the government has is throwing at big banks and big corporations, it's. You know, the the politics of it are really ugly. And it's the same kind of Republican game plan, Jamal. It's like 9-11, when people are so emotionally and physically exhausted and distraught, you see the Republicans making these policies, whether it's Cheney policies, Bush policies, that are really antithetical to the de democratic process. What is happening behind the scenes, Jamal, right now, while we're while people are dying and our healthcare system has become overrun and, uh, you know, on the verge of collapse, we see Republicans making changes behind the scenes that are really going to continue to devastate people's lives. And by the way, the people whose lives are going to be devastated are the Trump supporters. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to really fully appreciate and see this as we get closer to November. Well, uh, on this note, we are coming to, to an end. the end of another show from our shelters in place. Stay at home. Wash this your hands. Stay, wash your hands. Stay at home. Watch Arab Talk on online on our website. Uh, you can access all of our archives at arabtalkradio.com. And we'll talk to you next week uh, at the same time. See you next week. Thank you.